There's a note in your bulletin about how here we at Kenilworth Union have accelerated Advent by a couple of weeks so that by the church liturgical calendar, it's Christ the King Sunday. For our purposes, this is the second Sunday of Advent. And so our scripture reading is one of the predictions of the Messiah from the Hebrew prophets, Micah chapter 5. And please pay attention to the hymn we're singing after the scripture and then again after the sermon. It's such a beloved and familiar Christmas carol that we stop paying attention to it, but I want you to notice that it tells in verse what this uh, scripture reading from Micah is trying to tell us. Micah is preaching to the city of Jerusalem around 701 B.C. Now you are walled around as by a wall siege is laid against you. With a rod they strike the ruler of Israel as on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are little among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule Israel, whose origin is from old, from of old, the ancient of days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor shall have brought forth. Then the rest of his kindred shall return to the people of Israel and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord our God. And they shall live secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this Advent and Christmas tide at Kenilworth Union, Joe and I are preaching a sermon series entitled Catechetical Christmas Carols. Catechetical, of course, is the adjectival form of the noun catechism. And if you come from one of the confessional churches, like the Catholics or the Lutherans or the Presbyterians, among others, you know that a catechism is a system of doctrine often arranged as questions and answers. So the priest would ask a question and the catechumen, the student, would answer. So that the first question and answer of the Westminster Catechism is, what is the chief end of humankind? The priest would ask and the catechumen would answer, the chief end of humankind is to glorify God and to enjoy God forever. Or the first question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Asks the priest and the catechumen answers, my only comfort in life and in death is that I belong, body and soul, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. But as you know, a catechism is the very definition of tedious abstraction. And so for thousands of years, the Christian church has been sneaking whole catechisms of doctrine into our hearts and minds with Christmas carols. Nobody ever fell in love with Jesus by reading Luther's Catechism or Calvin's Institutes. But here a couple of measures of what child is this, in church or at Target, and even the atheist can't resist the seduction. And so the Christian church colonized culture with Christmas carols. For instance, Cecil Francis Alexander was a preacher's wife from Dublin in the 19th century, and just like with our third grade Sunday school students, her godchildren had to memorize the catechism. And they complained to her over and over and over again how boring this was. 
And so Mrs. Alexander began writing poems to retell the 12 articles of the Apostles' Creed in verse form. And so when she came to the first article of the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, she writes, all things bright and beautiful. And when she comes to that phrase about Jesus, he was crucified, dead and buried, she writes, there is a green hill far away. And when she came to the second article of the Apostles' Creed, conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, she writes, once in royal David's city, Mary was that mother mild, Jesus Christ, her only child. And so you know that song about the books of the Bible our third graders sing on Children's Day? That's exactly what Mrs. Alexander is doing with her ADD grandchildren in the 19th century from Dublin and Derry. Once in royal David city, she writes, it's her rhymed and metered retelling of the passage from Micah I read just a moment ago. Micah, who lived 700 years before Jesus was born, near Jerusalem, which is being threatened just now by marauding warriors from alien superpowers. The nation shakes before these mighty warriors. And Micah has a good word from the Lord. And he talks not about the big city of Jerusalem, but about the tiny village of Bethlehem. He says, And you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, you are but one of the little clans of Judah. And yet from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule Israel, whose origin is of old from ancient of days. Who would ever have guessed that God's valiant emancipator would come from an almost invisible village that wasn't even on any maps until its celebrated native son David became Israel's most cherished champion, the most cherished champion in Hebrew history. Jesus is our childhood's pattern, she writes to her godchildren, with her simple, lucid, juvenile verse. It's carpenter-apprentice Jesus who shows us with his calloused carpenter hands and his dusty sandaled feet, with wood shavings dusting his raven hair and a carpenter's pencil perched above his ear and a hammer and all jammed into his tool belt. It's that one that tells us what divinity is like and what we human beings should be like. He is our childhood's pattern. And I love her central metaphor. He is our childhood's she has to be thinking about a dress pattern, yes? That see-through paper you place over the cloth to guide your cutting and your sewing. And if sewing's not your thing, you can think of an architect's blueprint or a mariner's sextant or a surgeon's MRI. Even a golfer knows you have to line up your drive or your putt or things are going to go very badly for you. And so you lay your Callaway in the tee box to point you in the right direction, or you hold your putter vertically before the flag to make sure you're going the right direction. We all need something to line us up, to keep us straight, so that we do not drift. And have you noticed how much of the ministry of Kenilworth Union Church is devoted to that very purpose, teaching our youth that Jesus is their childhood's pattern? That's what Lisa does here all week for about 60 hours a week. And Katie Lancaster and Sylvie Pern 
and Christine Hydes and Greta Connor. They're all here to teach our youth their childhood pattern. And do you think we need something like that in this world today? Where truth is a sacrifice for expedience and facts are called fake news and principles forsaken for selfish private purposes? Does it sometimes seem as if we're drowning in a deluge of deceit? Sometimes it seems as if we've lost our way or mislaid our pattern. I've told you before what the great poet Maya Angelou says about this. She says, it seems as if we have drifted into this never-never land where we are up for grabs. Yes? Are you up for grabs? Are your children up for grabs? Or does their childhood have a pattern? Maybe we've forsaken it because it's too so dreadfully simple, so obvious, so unattainable, so idealistic, right? I mean, Daniel's striped tiger, for God's sake. Are you going to see a beautiful day in the neighborhood? Tom Hanks playing Mr. Rogers? How's that for doubling down on likability? An icon of innocence played by a paradigm of affability. My daughter's favorite song is I Really, Really, Really Like You, Carly Rae Jepsen. I watched it about six times yesterday, Tom Hanks. And if cinema's not your thing, you could read the 1998 Esquire article the film is based on. You know what it's called? Can you say hero? Or read the article in the Times Magazine from this morning, written by a longtime friend of Fred Rogers. Did you ever wonder how Fred Rogers, a Presbyterian minister, by the way, did you ever wonder how Fred Rogers became so familiar with the expansive grace of Jesus? Did you know that he was bullied as a child? He had rheumatic fever, he had asthma, his parents wouldn't let him play outside. They called him Fat Freddy. And so every day of his adult life, he makes, made sure that his weight was exactly 143 pounds. Not 142 and not 144, but 143. Exactly because 143 is I love you in numbers. I, one letter. Love, four letters. You, Three letters, 143. He had this thing for unwanted items. And so he would prowl the flea markets and the yard sales looking for treasures that had been unclaimed every summer when he went to his place on Nantucket, this cottage called the Crooked House. He would take a moment to visit the town dump to see if there were any unclaimed treasures there. And the article in the Times this morning was written by a longtime friend of his, and she says, He somehow lived in a different world from me, in a hushed world of tiny things, meager and marginalized. I love the way she puts that. A tiny world of hushed things, meager and marginalized. Like Bethlehem, like Jesus.
Cecil Francis Alexander, the preacher's wife, who wrote once in Royal David City, donated the prophets from her hymn book to an institution for the deaf. How quaint is that? So that even people who couldn't hear music could benefit from it. To live the songs we sing, to practice the poems we write, and to walk the faith we confess. He was little, weak, and helpless, tears and smiles like us, he knew, and he feels for all our sadness, and he shares in all our gladness. <laughs>